Welcome, welcome. It's Modern Homemakers Podcast. And if you've listened before, you know the subject is staying. And I wonder what Donna has for us today. So, staying with Donna, Modern Homemakers. Take it away. (laughs) You are. They've been staying with us for a long time. I don't think I say that often enough. Thank you to all of you who have sent letters and texts and emails and bought products and indicated you you've missed me when I'm gone in the summers and you're glad for me to be back and we're loving this time of closing down my period of time with modern homemakers it's been 37 years and I think I feel every one of those years and this project that I've been working on staying in a leaving culture has really come alive Um, because of these podcasts. So thank you for your remarks about staying. Thank you for listening. And I pray that the word staying will never be the same to you, that you will understand the depth with which Christ calls us to stay with him, to abide with him. And he's calling us to act that out in all areas of our life. And today I'm going to talk to you about staying with a solid financial plan. Now, My husband is a tax attorney, and when David and I met, we had two S-words when it came to money. His was save, and mine was spend. And we had a very difficult time merging those two. But what did help us was a a solid financial plan. And David was more of a planner, although I am a planner of a different sort. I I had the long-term ideas in mind, but when it came to understanding finances and when it came to understanding uh, um, what I used to think was, it's doing with less, not without Let's see, I thought, oh, no, a financial plan meant I was going to be without. He was going to take all the money and save it, as I had been taking all the money and spending it. Now, we never, ever did that in our married life. But money was not a subject we could easily talk about. And we would have our family or business meetings, and we'd talk about the edges of it until we got very good at this and decided we should talk about the hard things first. And that was a long process in our own marriage because both of us wanted to avoid the hard topics. He had a different set of hard topics than I did, but we liked to avoid them. So we'd casually talk about it. And then those of you who've been around for a long time, you know that we had one lighters, two lighters, and three lighters. And that was when it time to go to bed, which was the only time I could capture David between work and home and exercise and dinner and family events. And then it was time to go to bed, and I had questions about life. And he would say, oh, I'm so tired. And if he got into it like words, too many words, he would literally reach over and turn off his light. And then when he did that, if I was really upset, I would get out of bed, walk around the bed, and turn on his light. And we had one three-lighter. We had many one-lighters and a few two-lighters. So we had one of those, and we came to this place of having the business of marriage meeting. 
It wasn't about all the lovey-dovey, wonderful things that God was doing in our lives. It wasn't about romance. It wasn't about, it was about the business, about money, about finances, about calendar, about things that you have to have. And boy, could we buzz through those meetings after we made those decisions. And financial planning became much easier for us. I want to remind you that we are always here talking about what Christ calls us to talk about regarding every area of your life, and he certainly speaks about money. Um, I've never done the count, but I have heard people say that it's over 2,800 times that God mentions finances, money, resources, treasurers, saving it, spending it, using it, who it belongs to. And today I want to talk a little bit about that, and I want to read out of Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Did I say do not? Do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I pause for a minute to ask you this question. Do you know someone whose heart is engaged in something very, very specific and it's their first line of defense, the first line of response, the first on their calendar, the first in their checkbook, the first in everything? Do you know someone like that? Is it sports? Is it shopping? Is it travel? Is it clothes? Is it books? I, I think mine might run right to books if I had to answer that question for myself and I was not being careful with resources. I ask you that because it's very easy to let our treasure become something other than God. Because you see our treasure, we see. We touch, we feel, we put the money in our wallet if you carry currency, we play the credit cards and we know which one to use, when and where and how. It's, it, it's our treasure and it causes us, it, we use it for everything and it causes us to take the place of God. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Why do you want something? Do you ever ask yourself, why do I want that? Or do you ever ask yourself, why are you buying this? Or why are you hungering for something to buy? My husband and I took a young friend to the Grand Canyon. She had never been there. And we went into the shops. There are lots of shops on the Grand Canyon uh, site. And as I walked through them, I thought, there isn't anything in this shop I would like. But I remember the first time I went to the Grand Canyon, and I'd never been there before, and I wasn't sure I'd ever be there again. And I thought I should have a book. A Grand Canyon book, which I still have, which I carried with me to the canyon this trip. Have you ever heard this, time is money? Yes. When I talk to you about a financial plan, I want you to know I'm talking to you about staying in the practice of having a plan and what to do with your money. And yes, it takes time. It takes time to make the plan. It takes time to save money. You do not save all of your money suddenly and have a pile of it. You save it in fits and pieces. 
Loving Life book, which you're shipping out many of them pretty fast these days. Thank you. Thank you so much for ordering that book or wanting that book. We're giving them away free right now. Uh, But there's a chapter in that book called Saving Money at Home. So I'm not going to talk about any of the ways that a woman who's at home full-time or part-time can save money on the grocery bill and the clothes, in the cleaning, and all the areas that a woman can save money from home without having a job. Remember that God owns it all, not you, and God owns it all. He doesn't want you to own it all. He never wants you to own it all. But he always wants you to have what he themes best for you. Have you heard this phrase lately? These are difficult economic times. I've heard that several times in the last few weeks. These are difficult economic times. I think we're probably going to be hearing that for some time. Certainly this year has been one. During the COVID outbreak, it was one. There's job loss and property loss, lots of illness and lots of fear about illness. I know that we have cancer in our immediate family again, and the word cancer has suddenly been on every stage of anyone I know. Someone tells me about an intimate person in their world who has just been diagnosed with cancer, and many times it's cancer again. C.S. Lewis said, He who has God and everything has not more than he who has God alone. He who has God and everything has not more than he who has God alone. That touches me deeply because I know it is true. I have lived in years of want, and I have lived in years of plenty, and I'm grateful for both. But it is God who always calls me to make him first, and it has been my joy to to try to do that these years of my life. You belong. What is my only comfort in life and death? that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I wish I had said that. I didn't. It's a part of the Presbyterian Catechism. And I read that, and I, I was just struck with, you belong. I do belong. And what is my only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own, but belong, body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you can put that umbrella over all of your financial planning, I think you'll find the cuts of the budget, the difficulties in the budget, the joys in the budget, to all measure themselves out and be more uh, even-keeled. It also helps us not to be caught in the materialism of a system that does not put Christ first. This is a materialistic country that we live in. Everywhere and every day, we see it flashed in front of us. I remember getting my first cell phone, and I thought, ah, a screen without advertisements. Pretty funny, isn't it? It's certainly not that way now, but it was then. David and I had many years ago the privilege of meeting Richard Halverson, who was at that time the chaplain of the Senate. And he said, Jesus Christ said more about money than any other single thing, because when it comes to a man's real nature, money, if of first importance, money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, 
there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. My husband and I were just chatting before I began this podcast about a young man who we met when he was much younger, and now he's quite grown, quite adult, quite in charge, taking over the leading of a wonderful ministry that we support here in the Phoenix area called Elevate. And I know this young man to have been learning much about money in the years that I've known him. And I've known him when he went off to try new things with money and then came back to discover that there were better ways to use his money. I've watched him find integrity, honesty, just dealings, generosity, and gratitude as he uses his money and handles the money of others. The love of money is not the root of all evil. God will not be second place. He is God and wants our first devotion. He wants our first devotion. There are a lot of times in this country that we have lived in, from Great Depression to famine that we had because of the Depression, the Dust Bowl, as they called it, and we saw adversity. We saw men and women and families lose everything, wander the streets without enough food to eat, and many who supported them with small pieces of bread and small meals and a small place to stay, but through the years and the sense of doing this giving, we have learned that we are not all equal in the income that we have, but we all can be equal in stewardship. We all can be willing to invest in each other, no matter what our circumstances are. So I'd like to talk for a few minutes about materialism in our family. For years, I've said an unruly mother cannot expect anything more from her children. Caught it method. That's the caught it method. Sometimes we think the method of the taught it method is going to outweigh the caught it method, but it never will. Our children learn much more from us in the caught it. They watched us spend. They watched us save. They watched us be careful. They watched us throw out a half a melon because I didn't want to wrap it up and put it in the refrigerator. They, they watched us let the berries get moldy because I didn't serve them for breakfast. That's the caught it method. I think it's wonderful if we can have a balance of caught it and taught it. Albert Schweitzer said there are only three ways to teach a child. The first is by example, the second is by example, and the third is by example. And I join him in that. I believe in what you do and how you do it in front of your children will teach them more about uh, material resources than anything else. So how are you doing with your resources? How are you doing with your stewardship? Are you in debt? Are you afraid? Are you careful? Are you trusting? There are many wonderful agencies who can help you uh, understand resources. What is the name of it? Crown Ministries. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of the name of it. Um, and he offers some powerful uh, ideals, ideals that all, uh, indicate to us that our attitudes are what foster our debt. He says that ignorance, indulgence, imprudence, and isolation are attitudes that foster debts. One, ignorance. 
the lack of financial training. Two, indulgence. I have the money in my pocket. I should spend it. I remember my grandson having the first $20 bill in his pocket. He could not wait to get out of the car to go into the store and spend it. He didn't care what he bought. He just wanted to spend it. Imprudence. Um, that would come into what we're talking about today, a poor planning and isolation, the lack of communication about these uh, subjects. Steps you can take right now. With his help, you can diligently develop a plan. Set giving, saving, and debt reductions and write them down. He really is big on writing down the information. If you made a budget, write it down. He says if you're borrowing, stop borrowing and start saving, even if it's just $5. A lovely chart that he put together that I just found is staggering at 5%. Now, that's a lot of interest right now. He has it from 5 to 9%. But at $7 a week, $7 a week, what it costs for a good cup of coffee from Starbucks these days, in uh, in uh, 10 years, at $7 a week, you'll have $5,865. At 20 years, you'll have $20,244 at $7 a week. So consider whatever that is you're being willing to consider saving. Consider doing it in a way that's visual with your children. If it's dollar bills rolled up and stuffed in a bank or dollar bills that are getting to be a fatter and fatter stack so they see what it looks like to save money, help them to understand what that takes, okay? Stuff over God is what we've fallen into, stuff over God. We are called to take care of our families, even to the extent of our extended families and widows. In 1 Timothy 5.8, he tells us very clearly that we're to take care of the widows and the orphans. At the cross, we see Jesus Christ taking care of his mother. In the final acts of the cross, he says to John, Mother, behold, John, behold, mother. And he encourages John to take care of his mother at the cross, in the agony of the death of the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 14, says, Save for your children. Here I am, ready to come to you this third time, and I will not be a burden, because I do not want what is yours, but you. For children ought to not lay up for their parents, but parents for their children but parents for their children. Save your children. The most important thing you can do is save your children. Do things that help them to understand what living in the real world will look like. David McKenna coined the phrase, I know this must be two decades ago, called affluenza. Affluenza. A strange malady that affects the children of well-to-do parents. Though having everything money can buy, the children show all the subjects, all the symptoms of abject poverty, depression, anxiety, loss of meaning, and despair for their future. Affluenza accounts for the escape into alcohol, drugs, shoplifting, and suicide among children of the most wealthy. It is often found where parents are absent, but things are present. I find that is so true in the women that I meet with and when they are anxious to tell me 
about how difficult it is to be a single parent and work. And they're forced to work to put food on the table, and they're exhausted when they get home, and there isn't much time for training or time to being together. 50% of single-parent homes, which is down a bit as of of 2020, uh, but today over 45% of all children born in America were born to unmarried parents. So we're not talking about the decrease in divorce, we're talking about the increase of not being married. But these children are the children who find the parents are stuffing them with stuff instead of time. And they choose careers, many of them choose careers that will work around their school, children's schooling, but it's very difficult to do it. Christmas is a focal time of the year when we see materialism and the glut of stuff uh, more visibly. A child raised in a materialist home has a predictable future unless it is overcome, unless it is overcome. Misuse of credit, default on debt. I remember a young woman, a young couple actually, who came to see us and were very upset because they had a credit card debt of $12,000, and they were trying to get the credit card people to waive it. That's what they wanted them to do, and they had this whole story of why it should be waived. Um, They were very upset they wouldn't waive it, and then the credit card was trying to talk them into a payment plan, and I'll never forget, we looked at the, we said, bring the documents that you have for this credit card. Well, the first he said, I don't think we have any documents. And we said, yeah, she signed to some form saying that you would, and there in sort of fine print, it said that you were responsible for paying this bill back. And we were astounded at the fact that they did not understand what they were incurring was a loan. The debt on the credit card was just like a loan at the bank, only they didn't understand that. And I thought, now that's not particularly their fault, especially since they were raised by parents who did the same thing, a second generation. But that's the kind of thing we want your children to understand. We want you to be helping them with. It's one thing to say, I got my child a checking account when he turned 12. It's another thing to help him understand the difference between um, debt and being a good worker, a responsible worker in the society, or a poor worker, a quick to blame others, to pout, to show entitlement tantrums, indulging a child is never a good response, no matter what your time structures are or lack of time with your children. Spiritual insights, simply living and offering God's perspectives does take time and patience. But to teach them brings strength and an internal perspective to any child. You are who you hang out with. Uh, Next time we're together, I'm going to be talking about the staying in friendships. And we've talked about friendships throughout the years. It's one of my favorite subjects. A friend of mine, Emily Barn, who's now at home with Jesus, um, and I wrote a book about being friends. Surround your close friends with people who have your like belief systems. I'll never forget having what I considered a close friend who spent money wildly and recklessly. And I would go places with her and find myself coming home feeling like, why did I do that? Why did I buy that? Why why did I spend that much for lunch? And it was just you are who you hang out with. 
You have to be very careful in the early years of training children about how to spend, how to save, what to buy, that they're surrounding them with you're surrounding them with friends who believe in the same way. We train from birth in all areas. Children model us good or bad. I remember Anissa being eight years old and saying something to me in a sassy voice. It wasn't the sassy voice. It was her wagging finger. I can still see her little finger just wagging at me. And I wanted to laugh out loud because it was, but she was mimicking me just as clearly as anything. We understand this, and we, uh, but we forget when we train a child in the way he should go, it is how he walks and talks and sits and lies down and spends his resources. Go to college, get a career, make the most. God doesn't always say that to us. He doesn't always call us to go to college, to get a career, to make the most. He can call us to do other things and make less and portray to our family and loved ones what God's supply is, which is always enough. I think right now education is dwaning for the first time in the last uh, three decades where everybody is not saying the, the way to get ahead is to get a college degree. Trade schools are more popularized. Um, men and women are going to junior colleges to see if there's something further they would like to go and not spending what it takes to go to a full four-year college degree program. My daughter and son and all clicked off violent and sexual commercials when our children, when our grandchildren were younger. But I said to them one day, what about clicking off all those buying uh, commercials. Buy this, buy that. You should have, you should not have. I think it's very important that your S words not be spend or save, but that your S words would be a word, a word that embraces sincere planning for your sincere and spiritual planning. I think I have a, a C or an S stuck somewhere. There are two extremes to this training, your children. Um, you get to the place where you're going to do nothing. I'm going to spend nothing on myself. I'm going to give everything to the poor. I'm going to... These ideas, these extreme ideas, are not the best way to help your children understand about money, okay? Make them alone. When someone takes a toy of theirs and adversity happens, make them understand that that is a part of the culture they live in. Um, encourage them to skip a meal and see what it feels like to be hungry, not for the sake of fasting, but for the sake of understanding that there are people in our country, people who live in our neighborhoods, who cannot always afford to eat three meals a day or enough to make them feel fully satisfied. Uh, as I said, make them a loan and replicate what that loan would look like on the credit card. Work for money? That's a question I always get asked. Should the children work at home or work for money? I think there are two sides to that coin. Yes, I think they should have an opportunity to work for money so you can have an opportunity to help them disperse that money, to help them understand what money is for. I think you should also let them work someplace um, for no money. And that's not only included in your home, but someplace where they actually do a deed of service with no remuneration. 
Our daughter's first car was a salvage car. Well, it was very intentional. We could have helped her buy a different car, but we thought she should understand what it means to start at the lowest place, not at the highest place. She worked for a whole summer to gain enough money for gas, insurance, license, and stickers on the car. Uh, some work can, should never be about money. Some work should just be work. We should teach and help our children understand that working for a sense of accomplishment without a prize at the end of the road, working together as a family to accomplish something. I remember the family who told me that they decided they were putting in green grass in their backyard, a new house, and had just a small backyard and just dirt, and they were going to buy some plants and seeds, plants, and a whole plan they had about putting in a backyard that they put in themselves and watered and took care of and watched something grow with their own hands. I think that's very important. We don't see that often. We do a job, we get a check, we don't actually build something or watch something grow. Saving. I think saving is important for the sake of saving. Not just for the rainy day, but for the sake of saving, which means whatever you're saving, you're not spending. I think saving is important to save to secure a big purchase, a car, a washing machine, a bicycle, a computer, a prom dress. Um, I think sometimes I help my daughter too much with some of those things. We had an only child, and maybe that um, we offered a little too much in those areas. But we were also very careful about how much she was required to do. And why do I have to do this? Because you live here, her dad would say. Because you live here, and anyone who lives here takes part in taking care of the here. Giving is another part of the economic flow, not just saving, but giving. I can remember our grandson and his father, and I was in the car with them, and Samuel was probably five or six years old, and we came up to a stop sign and there was a homeless man and he had his sign and my grandson looked over at his dad and he said dad we should give him some money and I watched my grand my son-in-law pull out his wallet he gave Samuel some cash and then he gave the cash to the homeless man and then I heard Jason talk about why he just did that. It was a wonderful illustration of the difference between helping someone get ahead, someone who was in need, versus helping someone uh, continue in a reckless way of life. When Anissa was little, we started paying her and giving her money by using the envelope system. I still recommend it to moms. The envelope system is very visual, and money is not a visual concept. Once we get old enough to understand that, we should have well-trained habits. So help them understand that money is visual. There were 10 dimes. She got 10 dimes, and we had her habitually. Some of, it, some of the dimes were for saving. Some of the dimes were for church and giving. Some of the dimes were for spending. Some of the dimes were for spending about something that needed more than three or four dimes. So she very visually saw that these dimes added up to dollar bills to buy things. And I think giving becomes a habit just like church attendance and just like prayer. 
Mark 12 talks about the widow's mite and how the widow's mite was far more important than the large sum that uh, was given by someone at the same time. I also remember our daughter when she was a very little girl. Um, she had been to church and heard that we should give to the church. We should make a pledge to the church that the church needed money and we should and, and she thought money was like a gift and she had given her dad a tie and we left church got home she said mom i want to give a tie to god and i thought she said tithe like t-i-t-h-e so i i said well wh where did you hear that word well mom we bought dad a tie oh i said a tie she said yes a tie she wanted, and she did, and I called the pastor and said, you're going to get a tie wrapped up in the offering plate, and those are the days, that's, that's how we made our contributions to the church, just keep it, be glad for it, and understand it was part of, and this is growing understanding about giving money to the church. And then there's about money and self-control. Galatians 5 talks to us about the fruit of our life and I want you to know that money and self-control go hand in hand. The impulsive, immature person who does not understand how to handle his own anger or his own life will be immature and impulsive about his money. Help your children to understand that there is deferred gratification versus immediate satisfaction, and sometimes there is immediate satisfaction, but there has to be a measure of both. In a country with so much immediate satisfaction, immediate everything, immediate, do you want to know where you are? Do you want to know where you eat? Do you want to know what time it is, what temperature is? Just pick up your phone. You can know anything immediately. You don't have to wait till the evening news to find out what the temperature is going to be tomorrow. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying it fosters that need for immediacy. Then I have to have it, I have to get it, and I have to get it now. Then there's sharing. I want to encourage you to encourage your children to share, to be hospitable. We had extra bedrooms in our house because we only had one child. But we helped Anissa understand that there were times when she needed to share her bedroom with someone who needed that. And it, it was very, um, a very true circumstance. We didn't initiate the circumstance, but we had a family who was coming, and they needed a bedroom for the couple, and they needed two bedrooms for their four children. So we said to Anissa, you can come and sleep in our room on a blow-up mattress and give up your room to these children. I don't want to give up my room. What if they take my stuff? I don't know. want them touching my things. We said, well, that's what we're going to do, and this is what hospitality looks like. That's what sharing looks like. We just don't share our money. We share everything we have, our home, our rooms, uh, everything that we have that we can share with someone else. David and I, as you've heard me say over the last few years, left a house that we had lived in for 40-plus years and had grown into, and it was pretty spacious. We had place for people to come and stay. Well, people who came and stayed, we didn't even know they were there. That's how spacious it was. And now we don't have that. And we have an extra bedroom and a bathroom, which is about seven feet away from the master bedroom, and it's a big change to us. 
And we find ourselves remembering just those lessons about what it means to share your place, your space, your room, your time, your dinner table. And I pray that you are doing that as a way to teach your children. And lastly, teach your children to be thankful. Shakespeare's sharper than a serpent's tooth, it is to have a thankless child. And the Psalm 103.2 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Be thankful. Help your children to understand that all the things you have, whatever they are, that we should be thankful for them, even if they are things that we have come to believe are necessity and that we deserve them and that we always have them. Many years ago, uh, someone was asking me to help them have a better attitude of gratitude. That was her line. And I said, well, I don't really know how to do that. Um, I mean, there are passages in the scripture. I could give you some principles. I said, but let me think about it. Let me think about it, and I'll get back to you. About two days later, I called her on the phone, and I said, I've got it. This is it, and it's really terrific. And she said, well, what is it? I said, I'm going to say to you, every time I say you, give me 10. She said, I don't want to do calisthenics. I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to do thankful calisthenics. Every time I see you, I'm going to say, give me 10, and give me 10 things right away that you're thankful for. It was astounding to me. Because the first few times, she would get stuck at three or four. I'm thankful for this, this, this. Uh, but with some practice, she gave me 10. And I said to her, is that, she kept telling me over and over what a great practice that was for her. And through the years, she's told me it's a practice that she's continued and has taught her children to do. So when you're a spender, be a careful spender be a good example. These are important applications for your children. So how do you deal with materialism in your own home? It's a question you should ask. It's a question you should be aware of. It's a question that when you run your television, your radio, uh, whatever outside sources that you use uh, in your home, materialism is being brought into your home. How do you handle cash? How do you handle credit cards? How do you handle money? I was so acutely aware of my own casualness. This is at least 25 years ago. Uh, I had a terrible habit, but I wanted to learn how to save cash. And for me, saving cash, it was hard to save $10 bills or $10 and fives and $1 and a $20 and, and then get it. So I would convert my small savings into $100 bills. And then I would have a little pile of $100 bills. The first two $100 bills I had, I bought my husband something he wanted for Christmas. I was so proud of those two $100 bills. But I got careless and I started calling them hundies. Hundies. It's kind of a casual term until I said it in front of our daughter who used it in front of someone, and David and I looked at each other and thought, oh my goodness. So I apologized to her and said, Anissa, Hundies is not, that's not, not a good word. A hundred dollars is a lot of money, and it takes a long time to save a hundred dollars. It takes less time to save it in 2023. But I encourage you to continue in your own life, 
to watch for materialism. When you see the culture push for stuff, stop and ask your children, what does God say about this stuff? Ask yourself, what do you need? Do you have to have everything brand new? Can you go to a junkyard? Can you go to a garage sale? Can you describe these items at once, whether they're new or used? Take a trip to the mall and ascertain what's a need over a want. Get your paycheck one time in $1 bills. Get your entire paycheck, whatever that amount is, and put it in $1 bills and let your children see what that amount looks like. Remember, God owns it all, not you. Remember, God owns it all, and he doesn't want you to own it all. I started by saying these are hard times, and they are. But hard times refine us. Hard times cause us to notice our own sin, with regard to spending, it brings us to repentance. Hard times awakens us to poverty. Hard times gives us opportunity to give money and time and attention to those in need. Rebuild your house of finance by staying with your plan, staying with your plan. So as we approach this end of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, time of shopping, sometimes a frenzy of shopping. Maybe it's you're asking your question about Christmas. What could you avoid during this coming Christmas regarding your finances? How can you submit your thinking of the past and new and encourage a new refined money management in your home? Not just so that Uh, you can get all the things you want, but that you can actually have a part of your money program, your financial plan that includes going without, doing without something you can actually afford to do. Why do you buy what you buy? And why do you buy what you buy for whom? I'll never forget somebody saying to me, greedy people are never satisfied. And when I find myself being unsatisfied, it is almost always because I'm greedy for something. I'm greedy for more attention from my husband. I'm greedy for more attention from my daughter or my grandchildren. I'm greedy for something that someone has they seem to be enjoying, and I don't enjoy it. All of us have a penchant for falling onto the greedy side, but greedy people are never satisfied. And I pray that you and your household will have a financial plan that you will stay with. And staying in that proposed financial plan will bring you great gain. Thank you for that, Donna. Another reminder on how to stay, stay in his will, stay with the financial plan. I want to remind all the listeners that if you've been listening for a while, we still have those free loving life at as a stay-at-home mom books for you. If you go to the homepage of modernhomemakers.org, you will see a button there that makes it really easy for you to request one of those picture um, books. We also still have our holiday resources on the website. Uh, get your candles and your advent, your red plates. And do we have any advent books left? A couple. A couple of advent books left. Yeah. And Leah, don't forget, uh, to tell the folks that there are videos available on the website, two in particular, 
that you'd be interested in. One is a video involving the power of the table where Donna brings a lot of wisdom and fun with regard to setting and using a table in the family. The other is uh, a three-hour video on Get More Done in Less Time. That was the title of Donna's first book, and she is one of the experts on organization. If you want to check it out, go to the video. We are modern homemakers. <laughs> Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it an uncommon day by, ma by making yourself a financial plan.